Welcome to this episode of SBI Care, What Really Matters, the official podcast series for ISCOS. My name is Lisa Boschman, and I'm honored to be the host for this episode, Little Leaks to Big Wins, where we'll be discussing bladder and bowel management in pediatric spinal cord dysfunction. This episode is in partnership with WellSpec, and we are delighted to continue the educational partnership with ISCOS. I'm a certified urologic registered nurse and clinical specialist manager for WellSpec. Earlier in my nursing career, I worked in adult urology for seven years and then established the WellSpec clinical team in 2015. In my role, I lead our clinical team and provide product education and clinical support to clinicians, WellSpec product users, and their caregivers. I'm joined today by my colleague, Catherine Fernandez, and Dr. Lawrence Vogel. Catherine, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thanks, Lisa. My name is Catherine Fernandez, and I'm the clinical specialist for WellSpec covering the West region. My background is in PICU nursing. I did PICU nursing for about eight years, obtained my uh, clinical nurse specialist degree, and then came over here to WellSpec as a clinical educator here in 2018. So I work as uh, in a similar role as Lisa, covering the West, providing product support and patient education and healthcare provider education for bladder and bowel management needs and for support of our WellSpec products. Thanks so much, Catherine. Dr. Vogel? My name is Larry Vogel. I'm in Chicago, and I'm a pediatrician. I have been at Shriners Children's Hospital. Now it's called Shriners Children's in Chicago uh, for over 40 years, actually, maybe more than 40 years. Actually, my training as a pediatrician, then actually infectious diseases, but then I got to the Shrine Hospital many years ago. I took over the spinal cord injury program. So for 40 years, I've been doing spinal cord injury care in kids. I should say I, I retired from full-time practice about four or five years ago, but still very much involved in clinical care as well, well as research. Shriners is, as you may know, is a national network in North America for spinal cord injury for orthopedics, plastic surgery. And we also had three spinal cord injury programs, one being in Chicago, the other one being in Philadelphia, other one in Sacramento. So I've been very involved in clinical care as well as research as well and education regarding spinal cord injury and uh, obviously bowel and bladder is, is a very uh, much part of my life. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining. Let's get started with our discussion. In our conversation today, let's delve into the common ground shared by kids with neurogenic bladder and bowel caused by conditions such as spina bifida or spinal cord injury. What are goals for these children and how can we reach them? So I think the goals kind of fall into a few categories for physical health, social health, and then lifestyle factors as well. So with physical health, you want to make sure that you're preserving the health of the urinary tract, preserving that upper tract, um, reducing kidney involvement, reducing UTIs, and allowing them to be as healthy as possible. So I would say that's kind of the, the biggest overarching goal is that physical health. But you definitely can't downplay the social factors and the lifestyle factors as well with monitoring and having a good bowel and bladder program. So social continence is huge, making sure that they're not having fecal incontinence or urinary incontinence when they're at school or when they're at social events or even at home. Being a teenager is hard for anybody. So if they're a teenager or even younger than that and they're having bowel and bladder accidents when they're at school or around their peers, that can be socially devastating 
thing and can also really hinder them from having that confidence to want to join um, in with their peers for other social events or join sports teams or after extracurriculars. So that is a huge goal is that preventing or reducing as much as possible those um, bladder and bowel accidents to give them that confidence to be a kid and go out and be social and not have to worry about their bladder and bowel habits. And also lifestyle factors as well. Finding a bladder and bowel program that's going to fit well into their lives. Again, with that goal that they can just be a kid and not constantly have to think about that. So finding the catheter that's going to help them be as independent as possible. There's a variety of designs of catheters out there. So finding the one that helps them be independent has clinical benefits to help them reduce UTI so they're not in and out of school or the hospital. Finding a bowel program that can be as compact as possible so they're not spending hours on the toilet or, again, having those fecal incontinence episodes. So really looking at that whole picture and finding the program that's going to work best for that child and their family. Because family units can really differ as well. You know, kids may bounce between different parents' homes. They may have multiple other siblings and it can be hard to spend a lot of time on, on one program. So really looking at the family, having that conversation and working to individualize what's going to work best for them. Dr. Vogel. Sure. I was going to say, Catherine, maybe when you said about family members and stuff, I was thinking about uh, as a kid growing up with one bathroom, I can't imagine um, if one of my siblings or anybody had a bowel program that lasted two hours in the bathroom, that would have been near disaster. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think that, you know, years ago, we did a study and found that people were doing spending an hour and a half to two hours in a bowel program thinking, that just can't happen. It's just not high quality of life. But I, I do want to emphasize what Catherine said. I think is my goals are that kids can participate as fully as possible throughout their lifespan. And secondly, they have a high quality of life. And so those are the kind of the two goals that we, we should have and everything else kind of fits in there. That's very critical. I always laugh that uh, I think all insurance companies would like a, uh, if somebody was, uh, unfortunately, some children are, have spinal cord injuries from birth or may have spina bifida. I think most insurance companies would like that they um, you know, get one wheelchair that will fit them from birth to 80 years of age. Well, clearly there's a huge amount of things that happen from birth to 80 years of age. And probably the most dramatic things occur in the first 15 to 20 years of age. And I think, and Catherine brought up the teenage years, which I, I suspect that all of us remember that the teenage years probably are the most tumultuous and, and complicated issues. And then they have to navigate those years having a neurogenic bowel and bladder are very critical. So I, I would like to add that addressing the bladder and bowel is very important. The therapies that can relieve one of these conditions often ease the other at the same time, and taking a combined approach will further increase the chances of better clinical outcomes. Therapies that help people regain control of their bladder also help regain control of their bowel and have a significant impact on the quality of life. What I would, I would say is that, you know, at least from my clinical experience, is that kids go from birth to probably 90 years of age from my perspective. So, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, from a clinical perspective, kids who are constipated tend to have more frequent UTIs, urinary tract infections, and also um, urinary uh, incontinence. So, um, from that perspective, I think that that is a that sometimes we overlook that and the critical nature role of, of having a good bowel program to prevent urinary issues 
So I think that's very important. And I think also just the expectations. As a pediatrician, I always, and it's a parent too, we all have to set expectations for ourselves and our kids, whether they are our own children or our patients who, who, um, or children or individuals with spinal cord damage. So I think setting expectations of, of having a satisfactory bowel and bladder program together are, are very critical. And to separate the two is, is, is not really possible. And those expectations, of course, change. Expectations for a, a one-month-old or uh, a one-year-old child with spina bifida is going to be a lot different uh, than the expectations that child should have and family should have when they become um, school age or, or uh, middle school or, or, or teenager or a young adult. Absolutely. Yeah. And you bring up a great point with that expectations as well. And that's one thing we work to provide here from a clinical nursing education perspective as well. So that when somebody say starting on bowel irrigation or transanal irrigation, they have that right expectation that they don't think that it's going to be, you know, go from major bowel issues today to everything's fixed tomorrow, that they have the expectations that it can take a little bit to figure out the settings for transanal irrigation that's going to work best for them. we may have to work with the process a little bit. Um, you know, it can take a few weeks to find what's going to work best for them and for the body to get in a rhythm. And so really educating about that and setting that expectation will really help increase that um, success rate in the long term. And then also having the, the follow-up clinical support in that circle of care. So reassuring our patients and their family members, their caregivers, that we are here on an ongoing basis to provide the, the troubleshooting and the clinical support that they need to increase their success and improve their outcomes. Catherine said something really important to me. That, that was about the um, bowel program. And bowels, I always think, move very slowly. So, you know, most of us want a, an immediate result for things. I think bowel program is it, it's measured in uh, days or weeks or months sometimes. And I think that's, that's important to kind of set out from the front so people aren't disappointed because uh, things didn't work out today. So that I think is very critical. Yeah. And, and what Lisa was saying too, with using resources, I think that can be huge as they're getting started with bladder and bowel programs, especially now there's so many resources out there. There's some great Facebook groups I found that have, you know, parents with children that have bladder and bowel issues and that it's a great resource for them to kind of go and bounce ideas off of each other and be like, I'm going on vacation or my kid's sick. You know, what do you recommend for this or that? Lots of manufacturers like WellSpec have clinical nurses or YouTube videos and, you know, tons of education on their particular websites. There's even, you know, some websites out there that have been made by parents that have a great encyclopedia of information as well. So I think just really surrounding parents as much as possible without overwhelming them, but giving them lots of different resources and especially resources of other peers that are going through the same thing. That can be great because, you know, healthcare providers have great information, but a lot of times when it's coming from another parent or another child that's going through the same thing, I think it just carries a, a bit more weight and that can be comforting as well for them and give them that confidence as they're making a new bowel and bladder program. That's very important. I, I, I appreciate it. I always, you know, I'm old enough to know when doctors, people listen to us and whatever we said was what, what happened nowadays. I realized that after 40 some years of being a physician that I'm just one member of a team, which is very important. I, I should say, I I'm obviously have always worked with the team and the most important part of the team, of course, is a patient and their family. Then the rest of us are just around them to support them throughout. But I, again, I think that when things come from other parents or, or other peers, that that really 
sometimes much, much more beneficial. Let's move on to our next question here, our next topic. Addressing bladder and bowel management is a journey that spans various developmental stages and transitions. Let's discuss the nuances of adapting these programs to different ages. How do the approaches change and what considerations come into play when transitioning from parental assistance to self-cathing for both bladder and bowel programs? Dr. Vogel, would you like to get us started with this? Sure, sure. Obviously, being a pediatrician, I, I, I fully understand. I've already mentioned just the obviously the changes that occur from the time we're, we're born to as we age and throughout all those times. And, and so we got to accommodate to all those. So typically, whether you have a spinal cord injury or spinal cord damage from the time of birth or whatever, usually we start intermittent catheterization typically around two or three years of age, unless there's urological problems um, that require catheterization earlier on. And again, intermittent cath is, is a typical way. I always say that, um, you know, you start intermittent cath when kids should be out of their diapers. I always say girls are out of their diapers by about two years of age and boys tend to be a lot slower, like for most things, five years of age or so, they hopefully will be out of diapers and, and hopefully cathing. But so anyway, about two or three years of age, you should cath. And typically, I think the kids around five to seven years of age are able to start doing self-intermittent catheterization. And the truth is, again, girls tend to be a lot earlier, so five or six when they hit kindergarten, boys, who knows, sometime during adulthood, they finally reach more maturity. So somewhere between five to seven years of age. But before then, we should be showing them what's going on, uh, have them assist however they, they can for both, obviously, bladder and bowel. They can help open up containers, et cetera. So another key, so besides all that, I also always remember that, uh, and I think Catherine's already alluded to this, that, you know, through age, a lot of things change. Physical size changes. You know, if you have somebody who is one month of age, um, you use maybe, who knows, an eight French catheter would be the largest you may use, maybe even smaller. Obviously, when the kid becomes a a teenager, they want to have a slightly larger catheter. So, so, I mean, that's one example, physical things. But the psychosocial things and, uh, and emotional things are probably the probably the most complicated things that we have to uh, adapt uh, to. So, and again, the transition from a, a parent or caregiver performing either bowel or bladder program to the individual with the spinal cord injury, a child doing programs himself requires obviously a, a lot of training. And, and again, the expectations I think is a real critical thing that they will be able to do it and they'll be able to be as independent as, as possible. I should have the other thing, I think Catherine's already mentioned, uh, about you know timing, regularity, whether it be cathing or, or bowel programs, I think is critical. Another thing is psychosocial issues, of course, privacy. I'm not sure when children decide they need a lot of privacy. Some, some need it within the first year or two, but certainly by kindergarten, five, six years of age, and certainly as you get older, a privacy becomes extremely important. Yeah, those are some great points. And just like you were saying with with privacy and gender of the parent, you know, as a young girl gets older, she probably doesn't want dad helping her and vice versa. But that can also be challenging in and of itself if if mom is the one that's solely responsible for the bowel regimen and, you know, feels like she can't um, have other activities for dad to be able to step in and kind of looking at all those family dynamics that can go into play with that bowel routine. That's why we need a lot of uh, team members that help provide that. And it's always amazing to me how parents or patients will communicate better with certain individuals and maybe the physical therapist during a therapy session. So we, you know, as a team, we 
we certainly pick that up. Of course, that's more for inpatient or intensive outpatient therapy. But again, I think we're, we're in it for the long run. It's just not, you know, oh, here I, pres- I, I love when I prescribe something, say, bye, see you when you're 40. But no, it's we recommend things, we prescribe things, we teach things, and then we follow up to see how things work. And, and if we don't do the follow-up, we've lost it. So that, that's, that's the most important thing. The last other thing I wanted to mention, as a pediatrician, I love something called anticipatory guidance. So always providing the kids and their parents and caregivers with what's around the corner, what's, what's coming up. So again, like you, I think you made a good point about a, a teenage girl being um, catheterized by her father, uh, you know, and you can imagine all the other things that, that go on. So I think it's really important for us to help uh, educate to anticipate guidance to help uh, families understand what what's going to happen next and what may happen. We don't want to overwhelm them, you know, with birth. You don't say, well, by the way, this is a 45 things that are going to happen to you throughout this whole path. But one thing you can say is is that you'll be there to help them along along the way, and you're a part of that team. I love that. Uh, I haven't heard that phrase, anticipatory guidance, and I love that. You know, because I, I think, just like you're saying, by giving them kind of a little bit of a roadmap of what to expect down the road, it can really help take some of that anxiety away by knowing what to expect. Even if you know it may be a hard step, just knowing about it and knowing that you have time to prep for it. And like you said, that you've got your your physicians and your healthcare team there to support you. I like that a lot. It's great. Let's all share our top one tip for successful bladder and bowel management. Well, I think the most important tip is, again, I think the term expectations and with expectations that an individual will be as independent as possible and that whatever you're doing facilitates their ability to participate in their lives and have a high quality of life and participation at home, school and community uh, and throughout their entire life. So I think that that's my one tip is. First of all, be optimistic and be positive about this, but setting the expectation of independence. I always say, I want my kids to be wearing regular underwear. I don't want them wearing diapers, pull-ups, incontinence pads, or whatever they may have. Obviously, they may need to. I, I don't want anybody to ever feel a failure if they have to, though. That's a great tip. My number one tip is making sure that the patient and their caregivers have the support and resources that they need to achieve success. With the appropriate resources, the clinical team, the um, support groups that may be available, manufacturers have clinical teams. With that circle of care and ongoing support, they'll be successful with their therapies and their compliance will be better, um, which will significantly impact outcomes and impact the quality of life. I would say my one tip is just really individualization and looking at that long-term goal like Dr. Vogel was just talking about. For instance, you know, I've worked with families that are changing catheters to a catheter that may, like a hydrophilic that has clinical benefits and is going to be better for them um, for that urethra in the long term, or changing to a bowel program that maybe their current bowel program may be working well, but they can't do it independently. So they're working to change a bowel program to one that could be independent 
independently. And changes, especially for some of those critical parts like bladder and bowel programs, can be really hard. And so I always just encourage families to look at that long-term goal. You know, if you ease into it, if you do, you know, your previous bowel program and then the newer bowel program and trying to prevent that frustration, easing into things. And again, looking at that long-term goal of, of being independent or keeping that urethra healthy and just keeping that in mind can really help reduce frustration. It doesn't have to be zero to 60 as they're changing into something new, just looking ahead and trying to work towards that overall goal. And again, with that individualization, what's going to work best for them, finding you know a product that fits well into their lives and into their specific family lives as well, while also keeping in mind that that can be really time intensive as well. So we all know that healthcare providers are always on a time crunch. And so kind of looking at both of those perspectives and finding how we can individualize products while keeping within the sometimes limited time that healthcare providers have. And if there's a limited time at an appointment, what resources, like you said, Lisa, can be given for them to look at options outside of home as well, call back in messages with the team, outside resources to help find that individualization and find what's going to work best for them. I think one thing that parents and people, but parents in particular with the internet, they hear all these different things out there, what's going on, or they see other things. And for instance, we want to say, well, here, we're all supporters of intermittent catheterization and, and adequate bowel programs. But let's say catheterization that we would tend not to favor indwelling catheters per day, reflex bladders, a couple alternatives, surgical alternatives are the metrophenoff. So being able to have a continent catheterizable stoma. Frankly, that's one of the big changes and most important changes that have occurred in, in my career. So that allows people, and particularly females with limited hand function, to be able to perform intermittent catheterization independently. I mean, it's incredibly life-changing. I mean, they just pull up their shirt and catheterize through their belly button, and it just makes a, a real life-changer. I have a, several patients who are, have C6 spinal cord injuries who uh, there's no way they could catheterize through the native urethra yet they catheterize um, through their um, umbilicus, through the metrophenol, and uh, they're just incredibly independent. So I think that's one major thing. The other opposite side, and I think that, that people can do for bowel programs are the anti-grade continent enemas. Again, I think I'm not very good about that bowel pyramid. I know nurses are great at that. I'm not. But, you know, I mean, that, that's not the first place you go, but it's certainly another option so that people know. And I think it's important that People, uh, parents and kids know what some of the options are so that they, they aren't coming and say, well, gee, why, Dr. Vogel or, hey, Catherine and Lisa, why didn't you ever tell me about this? Look at this person has an indwelling catheter. They never have to worry about anything. But I, I think that's important to, to also provide the full range of what, what's out there. And again, I think uh, the critical thing is individualization of our care and that individualization changes throughout their lifespan. And we're a part of that. Yeah. And you bring up a great point about I'm all for using resources and Facebook groups and almost adding like a disclaimer to that, that everything you read may not be true or everything that you read may not work for you. So using those as a resource to take back with your healthcare team and kind of bounce ideas off your healthcare team and say, you know, so-and-so I, I read about this new treatment or that works well for them. Would that work for me? Yeah. Because the internet's a great place, but can also be a scary place too. So that, that's a great point. But as healthcare providers, the key thing is that we can listen to those questions and 
and be um, honest and neutral, though, too. We can't, you know, say, boy, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You know, <laughs> that, that, that's just not going to go very far, although I do it all the time. But, you know, I mean, I think there's and there's also things down the road, electrical stimulation or other things that may may benefit certain individuals. So I think it's important that we help our patients or clients or whatever you want to call them, I call them patients, you know, in their caregivers with with what what's out there and, and what we think is most appropriate at this time, what may be appropriate in the future. And some things that we I always say one thing is never burn a bridge. You know, you don't want to do something that uh, you can't go back on. That's probably one of the most most critical things that whether bowel bladder or whatever may be out there, you know, just um, never burn a bridge that you can't can't rebuild. Yeah, I, I like that, especially as with kids, they're changing so much and what may work for them at age eight, then they're 16 and they're like, well, why did we make that decision? But that's a very good perspective. Another thing I learned as a physician, I, I make sure that the patients uh, realize that the nurses and the therapists are the psychologists, social workers are, are much more fun people to talk to, get better information than from, from me. But I, again, I think, it, you know, this is all part of a team. And again, I'm, as a pediatrician, we talk about the medical home, which is basically is the, is the patient, the family, the community, and all the rest of us are just kind of the spokes on that wheel. And, and we, we help them along their way. That is very critical. So we really need to, to take into account what uh, the, the patient and their families interests are, what their beliefs are, uh, uh, on and on, because um, if we don't, we're not going to win. Thank you, Dr. Vogel and Catherine, for a great discussion. This concludes our podcast episode on bladder and bowel management in pediatric spinal cord dysfunction. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained some valuable information. This podcast will be on the ISCOS website and streams across all podcast streaming services, including Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, etc. If you have any questions or suggestions, please email them to admin at iscos.org.uk. We encourage you to like and subscribe to the ISCOS podcast, and then you will be notified as soon as the next episode is published. We also invite you to save the date for the 63rd ISCOS Scientific Annual Meeting taking place in Antwerp, Belgium, September 22nd through September 25th. All details are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.